The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Listeners, please welcome fan favorite adult industry veteran performer, Alex Jett. How are you doing, Alex? Oh, I'm fantastic. Yeah. It's great to to have you on. I'm really excited. Uh, Listeners, uh, Alex said that I could ask him anything and everything, which is always wonderful to hear. There have been some performers in the past that have had stipulations, and we'll get into that. When uh, I ask a certain question or a couple questions, but so I'm really appreciative of you uh, being so open um, and and willing to be so open is what I'm trying to say. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I I definitely feel like um, uh, the industry has for uh, basically forever, it's been so blocked off, so isolated because there's so few people in it. Um, So... Uh, I mean, just even some of the things I've, I've posted on Twitter are, are things that were just like never said before because it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a walled garden, you know? Very true. Yes. I've, I've been interviewing performers for a moment, so I completely understand what you're saying. So, okay, so to kick this interview off, I'd like to start off with, uh, with stats. Um, so the first thing I'm going to ask you is what's your height and weight? Yeah, um, so I'm 5'6", and I'm 150 right now because uh, – because I've been a bit lazy on uh, on the work stuff. I, I basically only do three or four scenes a month now, so uh, i I got to watch what I'm eating now. <laughs> What's your ethnic background? Is I'm uh, Scandinavian, basically, but, uh, I mean, white is uh, the, the easiest. What's your zodiac sign? I'm a Gemini. Same here. Hell yeah. Yes, so we see each other, yes. That's right. Oh, no, and actually it's funny because a lot, a lot, I think I would say that uh, a, a higher probability than chance of people in the adult industry are, are Geminis. For, for whatever reason that is, it's, uh, it, it tends to attract us. And how old are you? I'm 32. Okay, so let's start off the interview officially by getting to know a little bit about the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? So um, I'm from... Uh, I'm going to say Santa Rosa, California, um, which is like an hour north of San Francisco. But really, I'm from Windsor, uh, California, which is uh, about, let's say, 15 minutes north of, of Santa Rosa. But like until until I was 20, it wasn't even on a map. Uh, it's kind of a, a smaller, smaller like country town. What was life like for you growing up on, in that smaller country town? What was Alex Jet like growing up? You know, it's funny, I'm pretty much exactly the way I am now, which is extremely introverted, very shy, um, kept to myself uh, for the most part. Um, if if I wasn't at school, I was at home on my computer, uh, you know, playing games or, or, or doing whatever. Um, so, yeah, I just, uh, it's, it's funny, I, I actually, I, I tell people that um, uh, my 16-year-old self would be so jealous of me right now because all I do is, you know, play video games and fuck hot women. And that was like always my dream, you know, growing up. 
That's hilarious. And what's fascinating (laughs) about the industry is that it attracts introverts. It attracts shy people. Because I have had some performers over the years turn down interviews because they say I'm an introvert or I'm really, really shy. Which I always find fascinating, like the dichotomy of being shy, being an introvert, when the industry is designed for an extrovert. It's designed for exhibitionism. So it's almost like the weird, it's like a weird combination. Oh, definitely. And I I would say me personally, um, uh, the thing I always noticed is um, uh, being, um, I'm not thinking about the millions of people that are watching my scenes. I'm just there with my friends, you know, having sex with with buddies and, and like joking. I mean, the, um, I always say, like, the, the first thing you do when you get on set is it's like, all right, let's start, you know, gossiping about stuff and uh, everything like that. You're not even thinking about, oh, man, this script is going to be really long or, you know, uh, anything like that. It's, it's just uh, hanging out with friends and, and having sex with uh, people in front of them. So it's, it's, a very, um, it's a very intimate setting, a lot more intimate than you would actually um, think. Uh, when you know you're you're the viewer and you're like, damn, this guy must be so confident, like he's able to take off his clothes and and fuck in front of all these people. But really, it's just like the female talent, uh, the director friend, and and maybe a PA, and that's it. So let's talk about your life prior to entering the business. What was going on with your life prior to entering the industry? We're gonna get into how you got into it in, in momentarily. Perfect. Yeah. Um. Uh. So let's see. So, um. Yeah, my life before the industry, I'd done, uh, when I was a lot younger, I had done, um, it was very weird. One of my first jobs ever, I was a private investigator um, for insurance fraud claims. And um, uh, I did that from the time I was, I want to say, 18 to 21. Um, And um, then after that, I kind of got laid off. Uh, The the main, the firm that I worked for, their main uh, contract was with the California State Fund um, insurance thing, and that got subcontracted out to a different company in Texas, and so basically the work was gone. I was the least senior employee. I was kind of the first to go, and, um, and then literally I went from being a private investigator, having lots of responsibilities, a lot of, um, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm able to make these calls to myself, to working at Kmart in loss prevention. And when I say Kmart in loss prevention, I mean, I was the guy who checked the receipts. So, so overnight, I kind of went from this, you know, I felt like a hotshot career guy doing cool work to getting screamed at, like, oh, I paid for my shit, fuck off. You know, so it was, uh, it was a very jarring um, uh, uh, transformation for me to go from that to that, which, uh, you know, I, I know I'm leading into the, the next question, which is it, it, that kind of flows to how I got in the adult uh, industry. Okay, awesome. Well, actually, let's do it now because, I well, yeah, yeah, let's go into it. Let's just, let's keep the flow. How exactly did you get into the business? How did the opportunity arise? Was it something that you thought about in the back of your head at a certain point? Did it just, did this opportunity just come out of nowhere? Like, how exactly did you get in the business? Yeah, for sure. So um, another thing I was doing uh, growing up, I mean, growing up, I was an adult, 18 plus, is Craigslist was really uh, uh, big back then. And hooking up on Craigslist, was a huge thing, and of course, being a, a you know a young a young guy, I'm always wanting more pussy. 
but I'm fucking lazy. I don't want to, you know, go out on dates. I don't want to do this and that. So um, I would just post ads looking to, to fuck various couples in the Bay Area. And um, there are a lot of swinger couples in the Bay Area. So um, uh, that kind of got me my experience in, uh, you know, fucking in front of other people or, um, or just being sexually open. So a lot of the sex I had in my early 20s was, uh, was with swingers at, at, like, uh, swingers events and stuff. Um, so uh, when I d- was working at Kmart, you know, not liking my job, I already had been told for years, like, oh, my God, you are so fucking hung, you're hot, you should do porn. And so um, I tried. I tried to do porn when I was 21. I wanted to work for um, uh, for Kink.com. I was very close to the San Francisco Bay Area. That's back when they had the Armory, um, which was in Folsom uh, area of San Francisco. And um, and they just weren't interested. It's uh, you, you look too young. You, you look you know too uh, too twinky. There's just no way we can put you in straight porn. We can put you in gay porn as a bottom. And that's not really something I'm, I'm super into. So I was like, yeah, nah, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, but I did find a company to shoot me for a gay scene. And that was when I was uh, 21. So I quit. Kmart was like, I'm going to do porn. Started doing a little bit of gay porn. And it was not for me. I was like, this is, it's not fun. I'm not making a whole lot of money. Um, some of the guys on the set were like, well, you can do escorting. And escorting, you make a lot of money doing that. So um, I, I switched over to basically just being a, a gay escort um, from the time I was 21 to 23. Um, and then I met a friend uh, who I lived with for the next four years. Um, didn't have to work or anything like that during that period. So that was my kind of like re- relax and recuperate uh, uh, time after, after starting sex work. Kind of took a break. Um, then when I was 27, I moved out to Vegas to, um, try and do porn. Uh, uh, primarily I was looking at trans porn, actually, uh, not, not even straight porn was on, on my mind, but, uh, going out there, working with a couple of trans performers, um, one thing led to another, an agency actually saw one of the scenes I shot and, um, and signed me for, for doing straight porn. And so I kind of, um, the, the term is crossover. So, so from there. I kind of crossed over from the, the trans porn industry into the um, straight industry, and that was in uh, 2018 when I really started going. My my first um, straight scene was January 15th, I believe, um, 2018. And so, um, and then yeah, since then it's uh, it's just been uh, work, 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 you know. No, it really has. Like you, mm-hmm. uh, when you were immensely active with like the major studios like you were i mean scenes were coming out so many scenes with you yeah so like yeah Yeah. like you sorry sorry to cut you off yeah yeah, go ahead 15 to 25 15 to 25 scenes is what i would do in a month you know so um uh, from yeah yeah so i mean i was i was working a fuck ton and uh, it was you know when when you're a male talent and you're starting off in in la especially with my crossover background, because that's uh, kind of frowned upon. Um, I just took every fucking scene that I got offered, you know, every blowjob scene, gangbang scene, any scene, it was always, yes, if I'm available, I'm fucking doing it. You know, sometimes two in a day, um, uh, you know, where I'd be rushing to finish one to go drive to the other one. 
you know. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was wild for a while. All right, I want to talk about crossover stuff in a moment. I just want to get a couple mm-hmm. things out of the way before we like dive deep into that because I feel like that's going to be an incredibly deep conversation. So the first thing oh, yeah. is, um, in total, how long would you say you've been in the business? Um, so I, I do actually, more recently, um, I do count uh, the entirety of my my uh, career of starting off in gay to, to being here as, as being in porn. I would say maybe maybe not really mainstream porn until 2018, but I would say I've always I've always done something within adult um, uh, since I was about 21. So I'd say I'm about a 10 or 11 year veteran um, to porn or to just uh, adult in general. All right, with a little bit of a hiatus from doing uh, porn scenes in between there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. and actually, well, well, during that hiatus, I was actually just posting things for free on uh, the, the the main site was FetLife, um, and I had a, a really large following on FetLife, so I, I didn't even make any money doing it. I was just I was just having fun, like taking nude pictures, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and let's talk about your poor name because you started off as one name, and then it eventually evolved into Alex Jet. So, how did you come up yep, with yep. your performer name? So the original thing I went by um, way back when I was uh, uh, just doing swinger stuff was uh, John Swift. And it was always a joke. I, I, I like J names because I, I just like the, the J name sound. I, I had a dog growing up. His name was Jake. Um, I, I named him. So John, so I, I like that name. And then Swift because a lot of the times when I would hook up with these couples, I wouldn't come. So it was like almost a joke. Like, oh, I'm, I'm swift because I come fast, but then it's like, oh, I, I don't come at all. And, like, 11, 12 years ago, it sounded more funny than it sounds uh, on, on this conversation right now. But um, that was, like, the, the, the first name I went. And I, I went with that name, I would say, all the way up to um, it was, God, I, I rebranded. Yeah, literally, I think my first scene where I changed it was January 15th, um, uh, 2018, my first mainstream scene which I went by my legal name, which is Matthew Bailey. So I, I went uh, from John Swift to Matthew Bailey, and the reasoning there was um, I was tired of having a pseudonym. I didn't want to be pseudonym guy anymore. I wanted to be myself. I wanted to uh, – I, I was doing trans, a little bit of trans porn at the time, not, not as much, but I scaled it back. Um, but I was doing trans and straight, and I'm, I'm just going to be myself because that's what I like. I'm going to be Matthew Bailey. And um, – so uh, I, I would have, honestly, I would have kept that name forever because uh, it's, it's easy, it's my name, you know, no, no problem. When I moved out to Los Angeles uh, to start doing porn, I had signed with an agency, and my agent at the time um, said that there was absolutely no way I was performing under my legal name, and I had to change it. And um, so I was like, fuck, like, here we go again, rebranding. You know, I've been John Swift all this time. Now I'm Matthew Bailey for a year. Now, fuck, I got to be something else. And so um, I was like, man, when I I came up with the name, I was literally just sitting in in my agent's car. He let me borrow his car for the first scene I was going to do in L.A., which I was just an extra at, and I hadn't come up with a name by then. I was thinking, like, fuck, what? What could I be? And I'm like, well, I like Clockwork Orange. Um, 
A alphabetically. If I have an A name, I'm going to show up first on list. So I'll be Alex. Alex is cool because Alex DeLarge was uh, Malcolm McDowell's character in, in Clockwork Orange. Um, uh, in, in the book, he was just Alex. DeLarge was actually <laughs> um, uh, what Malcolm McDowell came up with uh, on set to call him for a last name. Uh, but uh, and then uh, I thought Joan Jett, because that's fucking cool, you know. She's fucking cool rocker chick. Like, um, I, you know, I, I can't be one of the dark kind of last name. I can't be Alex Black because I'm, you know, this tiny, tiny white guy. Um, so, like, shit, Alex Jett, man, that sounds fucking cool. So um, I, I walked into to the set where, again, I was literally just an extra. And, uh, yep, Alex Jett it was. Okay, so let's talk about your crossover career, if, if we'll call it that. I mean, you, you started off, yeah. you were considered a crossover star. I think what's interesting about the industry, and I don't know if you will agree or not, but, uh, you know, I, take, I took a hiatus from uh, recording interviews, and now that I'm back, sort of like in full effect, interviewing performers, what's fascinating about the industry now versus when I first started doing interviews, um, a uh, it's, it's it's a long time. It's like way over a decade, <laughs> way over a decade and a half. I can't even believe I've been doing this for this long. But I've interviewed so many performers. And I remember when I first started doing this, you know, sort of like tiptoeing and, uh, you know, asking performers, you know, before I hit the record button, you know, can I talk about you know, whatever it is in their past, whether it's a couple of gay porn scenes, a couple of uh, scenes with trans performers, and performers did not want to talk about it. There were a couple that did, but I would say maybe 90% of the chance, not 90% of the time, a performer did not want it brought up. And even though I would be like, you do realize it's on your, like, you know, adult industry uh, database. Page. Yeah, it's literally like, there, yeah. It's, it's there, and, and the answer that I would get is, yes, you know, if people search for it, they can find it, but that doesn't mean I have to bring it up myself. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can respect that. And at the end of the day, I never asked. If I was told, please don't ask, I don't ask because I respect. And my whole goal with these interviews is never, like, ending the interview with a performer or not feeling good about the experience. Like, I always want performers to come back and that sort of thing. What was also fascinating about when I started doing interviews and now is... uh, how I would say as an outsider looking in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, how much more accepting performers and the industry is about crossover stars. Like I remember back then, like female performers did not want to work with crossover stars. Some did, but there was a large faction that had zero interest in doing that. And, and then, but then, you know, slowly, and it started off with white performers, like white men, Mm -hmm. uh, white men were being accepted as crossover stars. As long as they stopped doing like, let's say the gay porn or something, they could fully cross over into straight. And then it slowly started that white men could do both. It was always harder for, at least I noticed, and and in just doing interviews, for black men in the industry to, like, cross over. 
and to, to sort of be accepted. But but it's much more difficult mm-hmm. for BIPOC performers, I would say, in general in the industry, especially based off of interviews that I've done in the past. Uh, but now Definitely. it just seems like it's okay. I mean, there is, I would say, like a faction of performers that are very vocal about crossover stars and their belief that crossover stars um, are dangerous because, you know, uh, STIs, etc., cetera, uh, are, are crossover well, they, stars. They always, is... back, they always fall back to the uh, lack of testing within gay, which, um, I mean, it's like, sorry to cut you off on this. It's just so it's, it's, it's rooted in a hundred percent discrimination because Correct. Um, every person and I homophobia worked with, uh, or LGBT phobia, oh, uh, to- totally. Every trans person I worked with was on a 14 day test. You know, I, I was on a 14 day test. So if you want to say, oh yeah, I don't like it when a performer works with someone who isn't tested, I'd, I'd say, you're, yeah, I, I don't like that either. I, I don't do that. But if, if you want to say that, just because a guy is um, is doing gay porn, trans porn, bi porn, whatever, that he is is not tested when you have the test right in front of you, it's just it's insane. There's no other reason other than you just don't feel comfortable with uh, guys who fuck guys. Exactly. Yes, I I don't disagree with anything that you just said. So in essence, what I'm trying to ask right now is. Uh, Number one, everything that I sort of said about the industry, is that something that you've seen? And number two, what has made you so open about talking about your past? And I guess the the follow-up that some of the listeners might have is how would you define your own sexuality? Perfect. Yeah, so uh, let me see. So uh, for the first part of that, um, I have noticed a huge change. And for me, um, being here in L.A., it did not feel like a gradual change. It, it, it was an overnight. And um, I don't remember the exact date. This was post-COVID, but it was when Ramon Nomar did his first trans scene. Um, as soon as he did his first trans scene, less than a week later, Owen Gray did a trans scene. Um, about a month later than that, Small Hands was doing a trans scene. So you have all of a sudden, in, in quick succession, these guys who are A-list guys um, who are company sellers. I mean, the companies make their money off of these guys. You know, I, I may have been the, the workhorse, but these guys are the guys who pull in viewers. And once something like that happens, you can't have the stigma. You, you can't be the girl and say, oh, I'm not going to work with Ramon Nomar. You say that, and then you're just not going to be on half the sets because Ramon's friends with a lot of those producers. And you're going to say to, to one of the producers who's fine with Ramon doing whatever he wants, oh, yeah, I'm not going to work with your buddy now because he's, he's doing trans. They'll go, okay, we just won't hire you then. So it was, um, it was extremely fast. And it was – I'm still, honestly, I'm still shocked by it because the panic that I had any time I would post a picture or post a scene and, and someone would comment below it when, when I would first start out of, hey, when are you going to do a scene like you did with, um, uh, you know, uh, Natalie Mars or something, and they post a still from it, and it was like, fuck, now i got to delete that tweet that I just posted because if anyone sees that, I'm going to be on everybody's no list. Um, the agencies, the, the company owners, um, for no other reason, in, in my opinion, just did not like guys fucking guys. 
and, and they're the ones who have the power uh, uh, for bookings. I, I think a lot of the producers didn't really care, but if, um, you know, you're – if your boss is telling you, hey, you, you shot this guy who's a crossover, don't shoot him again, you're just not going to shoot him again, you know? Um, so um, that was, like, again, like, the, a, a big thing. And, um, uh, okay, so now I'm going to totally miss, this is, this is where my brain gets lost. So then there was a part two to the question, and, and I totally forgot what that one was. No worries. Oh, no worries. Oh, okay, so you've answered uh, your opinions on... Uh crossovers period and you've mm-hmm. answered why you've been so open about your crossover oh, oh, no, past yeah. so yeah so that, that's what it was why why am i so open and and actually so the reason i'm so open is when i started and i moved out to la i was already at a disadvantage um for my entire first year of 2018 i had only done 20 straight scenes and all of them i did good at everyone was saying i did good but um, two HIV moratoriums hit and they were both crossover guys and it just fucking, um, it, it just kind of destroyed it for any guy who was crossover. So I, I wasn't getting shot. And I thought to myself when moving out to LA, I am, I am going to change this and I'm going to change this the only way I know how, and that is by getting power. Um, and so I worked all those scenes I did, I saved that money and I bought film equipment and I learned how to use that film equipment so that I could go to the companies and try and be a producer. And then when I was the producer, no one could say no to me. Um, you know, they'd, uh, they'd basically, I'd brute force my way into being accepted uh, because if someone doesn't want to work with me because I fucked guys, uh, that's great. I'll just never shoot you. And that's, that's fine. That's your decision. That's my decision too. So um, uh, the, the reason I'm so open about it now, and actually for the last probably two years since I've been producing for four different companies, any set I get on, in, in the, the warm-up talk where I'm just you know, talking to the girl, I always find a way to, to inject in there that I'm a crossover guy, that I used to do trans, that I've done gay. Um, so I can kind of dare them in a sense. I dare people to have a problem with it now. Um, and that was even before Ramon <laughs> came out uh, doing his trans scenes. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the reason I'm so open about it now is because it can't hurt me. And, and it, I'm actually, I have a lot of anger um, uh, towards the uh, straight industry and, and towards a lot of colleagues that I, I work with, a lot of people who are still performing, a lot of agents that still have agencies that tried to just, uh, you know, kill me in the crib, as it were. And so I... Yeah, I, I, I'm open about it now because I kind of I want people to have an issue with it, and I want to you know start a fight with them because now now I can you know now I'm not now I'm not the shy guy worried about um, you know having having someone tweet something out that destroys my career. Um, so I, I know that's uh, that's kind of like a it's kind of like a, a a thing coached in in tons of resentment, but I, I do have a lot of resentment towards the industry, and that's actually why I stopped performing in front of the camera. Because um, uh, my my last scene that I got booked for that I canceled when I decided I was going to stop was with a girl who um, who after I worked with her, um, she told her agent I was crossover. She found out after the fact. She put me on a no list. He put me on the global no list. I, he got me. Uh, blacklisted from a handful of companies uh, who wouldn't shoot me because I was crossover 
and um, I two days before the scene, I you know suddenly I'm I'm offered no everything's fine. I'm, I can't do this. I can't have sex with someone who um, you know who fucked me so hard. Like uh, I, I just can't do it, and I'm and I'm never gonna do it again. Um, so um, that was a very long-winded uh, answer, but uh, I, I feel like I I got what I needed to say out. <laughs> No, absolutely, yes. I want to follow up with what is a global no list, because that's the first time I've ever heard of that. But before we get into that, there was a, a tiny uh, question that was also included in this set about yep. being a crossover performer, and that is, I'm sure some of the listeners might be curious, what is your own personal sexuality? How do you define your sexuality? Yeah, I mean, it's and that's actually the most hard thing for me to do, because there's not really a, an answer to it. Because I would say, like, the easiest thing to say is that I'm bisexual. I fuck men and I fuck women. Uh, if I find them hot, I don't, I don't really care. It's, it doesn't really make, you know, much of a difference what someone has in between their legs. But then you get the gender spectrum, and it's like, well, if I, if I say I'm pansexual, does that mean, you know, it, it feels like it crosses too much? Is, is bisexual too little? Um, it's, it's kind of difficult to even describe. So I would, I would kind of just say myself, it's, it's by preference. And I, I really like the female form. And so I would say if someone has a female form, uh, regardless of, of the, you know, the gender they identify as or assigned at birth, anything like that is completely irrele- irrelevant to me. Because if I find them hot, uh, I'm going to be attracted to them. So, um, you know, again, again, with the uh, with the stuff here, it's it's just so hard to to actually have one word to define that. It it really has to. My sexuality really has to be, um, uh, you know, really defined out out there in in long form. Totally understand. Yes. Okay. So the follow up to what you t- what you were just discussing before you answered that, mm-hmm. I've been interviewing performers for a decade and a half, over a decade and a half. And I have never heard of a global no list. Like, I've heard of no lists, like, like performers, mm-hmm. in particular, female stars, they have no lists. There are men that do have no lists as well, but for the most part, like, I've always heard that it's the women in the industry that have the no lists and that sort of thing. And for the listeners, I mean, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a list of performers that a performer does not want to ever do a scene with. Sometimes it's because of bad experiences on set. Sometimes it's because they learned they're a crossover star and they don't want to work with crossover performers. But that's in essence what a no list is. What is a global no list and how is that different? Yeah, so I would say, uh, so global no list, it, uh, first off, it is an industry term. It's uh, some, some things I'll, I'll use uh, a shorthand or, or words that, um, that I come up with. But uh, a global no list is when an agency puts you on their no list. Oh wow! So, so you the the female performers have no say in it. It's all the company who uh, says you can't work with their talent. And so, uh, when you're on a global no list, usually you pissed off the agent, and then the agent will say, "Hey, to all the producers, all the companies. Well, it's it's really the producers. The agents don't talk with the companies." But they'll say to the producers, uh, when they get the call sheet and it has the guy they don't want on the global no list, will say, hey, that guy is on that girl's no list. You need to replace her or we're going to pull her. And the, regardless of if the female talent is fine with them or not, uh, the agent flexes his muscle and says, hey, this isn't going to happen. And 
you know, again, like the the males are uh, for the most part are just the uh, um, uh, the accessory in the scene. So no no producer is going to go fight an agent who has you know uh, fifty girls who ten of them he's shooting in the next week. He's not going to start that fight. He's just going to replace the guy. You know. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate uh, the the candor in regards to that. Okay, so sure. let's talk about the first time that you were on set. What was that experience like for you? Like you had, like you know, you you had been in the swinger world, so you're like used to, you're comfortable with, you know, people around you and that sort of thing. So did that make the first time the cameras? came out easy for you um yeah so <laughs> my first scene uh i would say my first industry scene uh which again it was uh it, this is for team ski which is a, a company i produce for now um it was uh uh january 15th 2018 and um i was told to to bring a collared shirt dress pants and dress shoes i i think was the wardrobe and that was it. That's all I was told. So I'm like, okay. So I, I, I got all this stuff. I get there, doing all the sign-ins, doing the paperwork, and they go, and here's the script. And I was like, script? I didn't know there was going to be a script. And it was 10 pages of, of dialogue. And I, I shit you not, I, I thought to myself, this is the first time and the last time I'm ever going to be on a porn set. I am going to crash and burn so hard because I've never acted a day in my life, and now I have to do, I've never done dialogue in my life, and now I have to do a whole 10-page script and then fuck somebody. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, just sheer, sheer panic. Uh, I mean, it took, I want to say, six hours to get through the dialogue, and then just, like, 30 minutes to an hour to get done with the sex. So the sex was was completely easy, I'd say, because of... um, all the experience I had had, and also in, in doing all the dialogue, um, no longer was I nervous because I got through it all. I feel like, oh, okay, I know all these people around me now. I've just spent like six hours with them, uh, you know, uh, running lines and shit. Like, I, I can fucking do this. And uh, uh, sure enough, I did. Uh, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was shocking because uh, I, I didn't expect there to be acting. <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, what type of acting was it? Like, what type of uh, scene, what type of role-playing was it, it that first time that you were in a scene? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I always get typecast as, like, the virgin nerd because I'm a, a small, little, nerdy-looking guy. Um, and so I was uh, – God, it's so good. It actually it, it took about a year for them to release it because it was so edgy. But um, I was a virgin Christian whose mom – was extremely religiously devout in, in Christianity, and my cousin is coming to stay with me, and my cousin is, a, is the school slut, and she's staying with us because we're going to guide her in the way of God. And um, me personally, religion-wise, I've always been an atheist, so I, I, I just totally got a kick out of like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, you know, this uh, nerdy Christian boy that gets converted to the dark side, and because uh, I, I have no, I have no stake in, in religion. And if someone wants to believe something, that's fine. But uh, I, I think it's funny that it's taboo. And so um, it was actually, it wasn't any step. That's why I, I thought it might never be released. Because after a while of it not being released, 
I thought, oh, I, there was no step here. It's like literally, oh, you're fucking your cousin. And I'm like, damn, like it's probably, you know, they can't actually use that scene. But, um, but sure enough, they did. They did. And um, uh, it was great. It was great. I'm, I'm like so proud of that scene. Uh, I, I look back at it um, and I'll show people uh, when there's like a new, a new guy or a new girl and they're like, man, you know, I feel like I did a real shit job. Like I, I, I feel like I could have done this or that better. I'm like, here, let me just show you my first scene. Like, I, I, I look like I had a stick up my ass the entire time. I, I made no facial expressions. I um, was, you know, blankly staring. I was so clearly nervous in all the stills. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you get better with experience. So, um, uh, and, and also committing. Uh, like, when I'm, when I'm a virgin nerd, I commit to it. I'll, I'll like, you know, shake and, and shiver and, and, you know, you, you go all in and, and that's what really makes a difference. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I love, I love that scene. It's interesting that they didn't use step in front of cousin. Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah, I know it was. Cause like I, it didn't actually register with me at the time. Cause I, I thought, Oh, you know, cousin Shirley, that's, I mean, that's not like familial relationship, but then you think about it. It's like, no cousin is familial relationship. And, and since it took a, a whole year, I was just waiting for that scene, waiting for that scene, and then, yeah, it finally came out. So, The involvement of that genre is very fascinating. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but, uh, yeah, Perfect. we're going to get deep into that genre because that has taken over the industry. Okay, so oh, yeah. before we get into all of that, uh, I want to ask, how would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking? Um, oh, God, it's going to be so bad. So I would say I'm very um, formulaic. Uh, I know uh, I know the angles. Uh, I, since, since I'm behind a, a camera a lot of the time, I, I know where the camera is, where I have to be to um, to to get the shot that looks the best. And so when I'm doing a scene, I'm not even really paying attention to the female talent. I'm paying attention to where the camera is. And, and, you know, out of the corner of my eye, seeing what angle he's at, so I can open up to that, I can switch around, I can do anything, but I'm looking at the director more than I'm looking at the female talent or doing any of the sex. So when I shoot a scene, I, I'd say my style is I perform for the camera, and I, I always try and give the best penetration angles and, and, and stuff like that, but that's a very, that's not as much of a passionate performer that's a very like analytical style i would say and um and so that's how i describe it is is very analytical all right so i'm going to shift gears a little bit and uh, i want to talk about something that happened to you a couple of months ago it was uh towards the end of the year 2022 uh, uh mm -hmm. something happened to you in regards to testing in the industry and uh, just yeah. in case if someone has downloaded this podcast or they're streaming it and that they, they have absolutely no idea what I am talking about can you explain what happened why you decided to go public with it and uh, in your opinion what were you hoping would be the outcome for making what happened to you go public. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I would say mid-November, 
mid or late November, people were noticing that they were testing positive for chlamydia in higher numbers than, than usual. Um, uh, in, in terms of, I don't have raw numbers or anything that I can like publicly share, but a substantial amount of people who usually didn't test positive for chlamydia were testing positive for chlamydia. Um, that led to a moratorium where there were absolutely no shoots allowed for one week, and then anyone's tests before that moratorium were invalidated. Um, so that was from uh, January 7th to January 12th, I believe. Um, so no shoots at all, literally um, no porn productions in all of Los Angeles, uh, uh, Florida, Vegas took place. Um, I, I had, my last scene was, uh, I would say, November 14th, I think it was. So I was thinking, oh, you know, I've, I've had chlamydia a couple times. Uh, I've had gonorrhea a lot of times. I know when I have it because my, not to get, I mean, I actually to get really graphic here, your dick is leaking pus. Like, you know when, you're, when you have uh, something going on, or I've always known when I had it. And uh, same with my, my partner, who um, I, I say partner. At the time when I put out this tweet, um, uh, she didn't want to be named because she didn't want any blowback, but uh, it was, it's my girlfriend. Um, she uh, wasn't having any symptoms either. So we're thinking this moratorium hits, we'll just get tested. The, the 12th, uh, we'll have you know, negative tests, and then we can go back to work, you know, get, get back, back on track. So... She tests on the 12th, and on the 13th, it comes back positive for chlamydia. I had already tested on the 13th, and on the 14th, it came back negative for chlamydia. So I'm thinking to myself, this is pretty strange that, um, that she, we've had sex with each, only each other for a month, and she has chlamydia, but I don't. There is no way that that's happening. Um, so I, my immediate thought, because the, the two labs are CET, or cutting-edge testing, and TTS, or uh, talent testing service. And my first thought, because she was a TTS girl and I'm a CET guy, is TTS messed up somehow. That's a false positive, because false positives do happen within the industry. And if she gets retested, um, it'll come back negative, so no, no problem. So I'm like, let's not go to... TTS, let's go to CET to get you retested. So we do, next day comes back negative. So now we have a positive test for my girlfriend um, followed by a negative at a different lab. We talked to a couple people and more than I would, <laughs> more than I feel comfortable even admitting, people behind the scenes were saying, there's something up here. We've heard this from a couple different performers I don't think we can accept the CET test. You might have to get retested at TTS. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll have, we'll have my, my girlfriend go back to TTS, get tested, get the um, uh, rectal swab, get the uh, vaginal or the urinalysis done again and see what that comes back as. And, and sure enough, both the rectal and the urinalysis positive. So I'm like, well, fuck. Well, clearly something is up here let me go and get urine and, um, and rectal swabs. I did, positive for both. So all of a sudden we have two labs, TTS, saying that, oh, we, we're testing positive for chlamydia, 
CET saying, oh, we're all negative of chlamydia, it's like, what, what do I do here? And I'm sitting, the, the morning I got my, my positive results, I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I'm like, I, it's, it's like, I want to say 8.30, I'm like, I need to put this out. Students usually start at 10 a.m. because something's up, whether it's false positive, false negative. Testing is not going right within our, our industry. So um, I had my own bias. Um, I, I still have my own bias, which is that cutting-edge testing was providing um, false uh, uh, negative re results when they were actually positive due to a um, testing kit update, um, which they use a third-party lab, so there was a little bit of iffiness there. Does your third-party lab uh, use the updated testing kit or not? We know TTS does because they're testing in-house. So my own bias, which is just an opinion, is that the false negatives um, uh, were coming from uh, CET. And uh, so I, I was like, man, I, I got to just put this out as black and white as I can, my test results, uh, my girlfriend's test results, and anyone can make what they want of it. I, I have my own opinion. They can have their own uh, opinion from the data. But, um, but e even now, something is not right. <laughs> And this is kind of faded from from view a little bit, like uh, like anything in uh, in politics or or whatever. We we have such a short attention span that um, that I, I think people have have figured that this testing situation has resolved itself, and it really hasn't um, in, until we see potentially um, CET numbers matching what TTS numbers are for testing positive for chlamydia. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable performing uh, the, the amount of scenes that I, I'll usually produce. Um, all the scenes I produce are POV, so um, it's literally me as the talent every single time. And um, especially last year in 2022, I, I popped for either chlamydia or gonorrhea five times throughout the year, and I was maybe only doing five to ten scenes a month. Prior to that, every other year, I was doing 15 to 25 scenes uh, a month, and I would pop through chlamydia or gonorrhea once a year. Um, so there's just more, I mean, I used to say, like, because uh, the, the stigma is that, oh, if you're in porn, you're, you're going to be dirty, you're going to have a lot of STDs, and that hasn't been the case. Um, I've, I've had sex with hundreds of women before I uh, tested positive for anything. Um, until 2022, which is when it, a, a real shift happened, um, uh, regardless of the uh, testing situation uh, and uh, inconsistent results between the two labs, um, there there is more STDs in porn. And um, uh, I've heard recently, this is uh, maybe breaking news here, but I've talked to some people and it looks like we have a drug-resistant strain of gonorrhea going on in the industry right now the kind where if you take the usual medicine, uh, usually after seven days you'll, you'll test negative for gonorrhea. Now people who have waited the seven days are still testing positive for gonorrhea. So they have to go through another round of medication. And um, I've, I've taken the, the more advanced medication and it destroys your stomach for two months. Um, like when I ate anything, I would have uh, sweats and, um, and horrible stomach cramps. For, for a couple hours after after I ate um, uh, for months until uh, you know my, my gut bacteria uh, regained itself 
So it's, yeah, right right now the porn industry, I would say this is one of the most unsafe times if you're worried about STDs to, to be in the industry currently. As someone who's been in the industry for for a moment, why do you think there has been such a greater influx of STDs, STIs, in the industry, because I mean, let's be real. There are going to people. There are going to be people out there that are going to be looking for somewhere to point the finger. So, do you have at all a theory as to why it's occurring? Is there an issue with testing? Are performers being a little bit more reckless in regards to escorting? Like, what are your just general thoughts on where it's coming from? Yes. Yeah, so I and this is another thing where I I saw a shift in it, and this is post COVID, um, and I I want to start out before I say any of the, any of thing here that I am not stigmatizing content creators at all in terms of um, the the vast majority of content creators are very safe, um, female and male, uh, but there there is a, a lot of content creators now who are guys who are very, very attractive. And the thing about mainstream porn is you, you don't have to be the hottest guy. You have to be the guy who has a reasonable-sized penis, uh, able to keep it hard, and able to be uh, put up with for six to eight hours on set. The crew has to be okay with you. As long as you don't have to be the most hung, the most attractive, um, you just have to meet that narrow set of, of criteria in order to uh, keep being hired by these companies. Because again, you're you're the guy, you're the accessory. Something I've noticed is post COVID, you have a lot of guys who I would consider tens out of tens. You know, guys who basically could be models who went in and started doing content. And these are young young men who. In, in their situation, I probably would do this thing. They have access to Tinder. They have access to uh, uh, performers. They're shooting content. They're making 10K plus per month on their OnlyFans. So they have extra money to spend. So what are these guys doing? They're, they're shooting a porn scene in the morning, hooking up with someone in the afternoon, and hooking up with a different girl in the evening. They're fucking everyone. And... Those are, are, are people who aren't necessarily, I would say, if stigmatizing anything, it'd be Tinder. I think Tinder has been brutal for the porn industry because guys and girls can now hook up with anybody in a moment's notice, and there are already eight-plus million people in Los Angeles County. So instead of the walled garden that we used to have of performers only working with performers, occasionally hooking up with someone, doing a little bit of escort stuff, I would say escort stuff is probably more safe than uh, than Tinder or or any type of uh, of hooking up culture that we have, but it's it's I would say the largest majority of STDs are coming from male content creators or or low <laughs> low um, end celebrities who happen to live here who are hooking up with with the female talent um, because they're the guys that the female talent want to fuck. And, um, and those guys aren't necessarily getting tested regularly. They're not necessarily um, uh, being safe about who they have sex with, probably not using condoms, 
for them, it, it doesn't matter. If, uh, if an OnlyFans guy is making ten, twenty thousand dollars a month, he doesn't care if he has to take a week off because he's uh, you know popped for gonorrhea or chlamydia. He'll he's he's still fucked sixty people in that uh, period of time on on his last test. So it doesn't matter, uh, you know. But I, I would say that's I would say that's the biggest thing I've noticed. And agents, companies, none of them are putting a stop to this. Um, uh, the amount of time I had a girl on my set recently who has mentioned hooking up uh, with guys on Tinder, I, I would say it's probably 30% will actively talk about that. And, um, uh, again, it's, it's like, a, you know, all you can fuck buffet on there for, for these young girls, for the young guys who are, you know, attractive and popular. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just the recklessness uh, of it all. Um, there's professionalism uh in porn anymore or, or a lot of it has kind of gone out the window yeah totally okay that was interesting that was incredibly eye-opening i, yeah, I appreciate yeah. it yeah oh for sure well yeah because uh, just to uh, add one little point is uh the reason i say it was COVID is because there's so many performers who were making a decent living uh in porn but weren't really doing the only fans thing weren't really doing content who all of a sudden content was the only thing they had. And so that pushed, uh, same with the civilian population, that pushed so many people who weren't uh, looking to do this as like a career or just looking to have a good time. It pushed them to a place where they can have fun and make money doing it. Totally. Yes. Um, as a follow-up to just testing in general, because I'm sure the listeners might not know this, how much money does it cost for performers to do testing, you know, because you guys have to do it, uh, you know, at times, you know, it's at least once every 14 days. How much money goes into mm -hmm. getting a test? Yeah, yeah. So um, money in porn is, is really interesting, too, because uh, um, when, you've, when you've made it, especially as a male performer, the testing is, is like nothing. But when you're starting off, it, it's a large cost. Um, and we're talking about normally it's $155. And uh, that was pre-COVID, $155, no problem, you're good for 14 days. Um, then COVID happened, and now you have to get COVID tested. And a lot of companies were requiring 48-hour COVID tests, and not all of them paid for it. And you had to do it at a one of our labs, so you couldn't just go get a, a um, you know, at-home kit or something like that. It had to be through through them. One company, TTS, did it for thirty-five dollars uh, per test. The other company uh, did it for a hundred and ten. So everyone was going to TTS to get this done. But in a month, if you're working almost every day and you're testing every other day, and thirty-five dollars is just flying out of your pocket, it was an insane amount of money. Um, luckily, we're, we're past that. Our COVID tests are, are no longer required. I always have at-home tests on my sets, and I always tell the, the female talent and the agents know um, if, if a girl who's working with me wants me to have a COVID test, wants to be COVID tested, I'll, I'll have one done, you know, before she gets on set. I'll, I'll provide it to her if, if she wants it, you know, no, no cost. Um, now, since January 1st, uh, things have changed a little bit. Um, so our, our governing body, if, if there is such a thing as a governing body within porn, is called the FSC. 
and they run a service called PASS. And um, to be PASS certified, you have to have um, a full panel test, which I, I couldn't tell you all the things that are on, but you got your standard like HIV, all, all the usual stuff, which are, again, $155. Um, you have to have a throat swab for chlamydia and gonorrhea, and now you have to have a rectal swab for chlamydia and gonorrhea. So those are just two separate swabs, um, uh, which is really funny. I, I, when this first came up, I made a joke like, oh, if, if we're testing in, in, you know, rectally and orally, I hope, you, you know, they go to the mouth first um, uh, instead of, you know, the opposite. Uh, yes. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, those used to be $60 each. So that would add a, an extra $120 on, onto your test, which $155 plus $120. Now TTS, I, I don't know about CET, but TTS um, has it for $115 for both oral, um, anal, and full panel tests. So um, that's what I recommend to everybody. Not, uh, none of the companies that I shoot for actually have a recommendation. Um, some of the agents are, are flexing a little bit, saying, oh, if you want to book our girls, um, you know, you have to be oral, any, any talent they work with, oral, um, uh, full panel, and, and rectal swabbed. Um, but, uh, again, right now it's kind of the recommendations out there. Um, I, for everyone I work with, it's, uh, I, I get rectally swabbed, I get oral swabbed, I get the full panel, I require that too. Um, it's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion, especially with the uh, prevalence of STDs in the community currently um, that, you know, people, people pay the, the little bit extra. But, uh, yeah, so you're, if you're getting into porn, you're looking at $215 every 14 days um, uh, at, at a minimum. Good grief. Okay, that, that's really interesting to know, and, and I'm sure that's – the type of knowledge that's going to help somebody that's listening to this, especially if they're curious about the adult industry. What Definitely. are your thoughts on what can be changed? You know, do you think it's going to get to the point to where the agencies, the agents, the producers are going to sort of like rebuild that wall that you, uh, as you called it, that sort of like isolated performers from, you know, the rest of the world? Like, do you think there's going to be, it's going to get to the point to where, like, someone, you know, in power is going to be like, okay, you all, you can't work with people that are just content creators. Like, if you're going to be working on sets, you have to, you have to start demanding, you know, a current and accurate tests from these content creators that, you know, aren't necessarily a part of the industry machine and that are bringing in these STIs. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I would say, so my prediction in porn, I, I tell every new girl, uh, this I shoot, I, I say now is the worst time to ever in, think about getting into porn. And I, I, I'm not the pull-up-the-ladder kind of guy. I've helped many a male talent who are still my competition uh, or were my competition uh, back when I was working uh, uh, in front of the camera. Um, I, I'm saying this is like a this, – this is – it's kind of actually scary right now for the, the mainstream adult industry. Um, I think 
Uh, a life hack that came post-COVID is if you're a big-name performer or already were a big-name performer and you're female, you're going to make 10 times the amount of money on OnlyFans that you've ever made shooting porn. Um, there was one performer, a very big-name uh, friend of mine, uh, who literally went from making ten to $15,000 a month to after, I want to say it was eight months on OnlyFans, she was making over 50000 And then about a year after that, she was making over $125,000 a month. Um, uh, you just can't survive in, in, in a company lifestyle anymore. I, I think girls just getting started coming out here, there are less shoots now because uh, there's so much porn. Um, uh, the... Um, thing I would say that, that makes it uh, just so – my prediction for the future, which, which is relevant to, to why it's so bad and, and what I think can make it better, is you're going to see companies consolidate more. Uh, the, the two big companies are MindGeek and Gamma, and between them, I, they own most of the porn sites on, on the Internet, most of the mainstream porn sites on the Internet. I think they're going to continue to swallow up companies, to, to buy companies, and mainstream will be so consolidated – that they'll pick who the next famous person is going to be. And that person won't be a, a person who moves out to L.A., signs with an agency. That's going to be like back in the old days when you had Vivid contract uh, uh, people, uh, performers who were contracted to work for Vivid Entertainment. And I think that's going to come back. I think it's going to be, a, hey, if you want to do porn, we're going to pay you a lot more money. You're going to do a lot less scenes the production value is going to be way higher, but the bar for entry is going to be so impossibly high if you're not just, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to just brute force your way in or start out or be good. You're going to have to get picked. Um, I think for mainstream, that's going to be great for, you know, the girls who quote-unquote make it, um, but I think there'll be a lot less mainstream porn stars who will be relying a lot less on uh, content and will be basically contracted studio shooters. Um, uh, so you won't have to worry about the content thing. And the content thing is, is going to be a periphery of the industry, but the big stars will not be there. The big stars will be on, on browsers, will be on adult time, you know, all, all, all the big sites. Um, and, and that's kind of where I see it going, which, uh, again, is, which leads me to, to why I don't recommend people getting in now is that the shooting has gone down, and the money stayed the same. So if you're a girl looking to, to move out to L.A. to do porn, you might only make $1,000 per scene, and, and you might only work three or four times a month. And you can't survive in L.A. on four grand a month. It's, uh, it can't happen. And if you're a guy, you're, you're starting off at 400 bucks. And, um, you know, I don't even know. If, if you're starting out and you're a guy, you're spending three months maybe doing three scenes throughout the duration of that and just hoping that you do good in them. Because if you suck in any one of them, you're done. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's just uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a good time right now. Right. Although, a counterpoint to you saying, if you suck as a performer, I have been noticing that there have been a lot more fake cum shots over the past mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. in the industry than there ever yeah. been 
period. And that has shocked me just because I always felt like, based off of just what performers have said in the past and previous interviews, if you can't pop, you're out. Like, they'll replace you and this, that, or the other. But it seems like that's not the case now. And I don't know where that shift has come from. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't tell you personally. I would say, because I'm still, I mean, like, uh, the, the... some of the only people I shoot for now, the only reason they're they're hiring me, other than you know I'm, I'm friends with them, is uh, is because I can have the girl finish me off to to get me to come, and uh, you know this is this is my anecdotal experience here. I haven't thought too much about this, but just just in me saying that, so one of the, the scene I'm actually doing today uh, is. Um, is specifically using me because all their other guys can't pop without jerking off themselves, and it's even difficult for them to do it there. So I kind of, I wonder if, I, I want to say a lot of it might have to do with the age of the average performer. Um, a lot of the guys are getting older and are not able to come. A lot of uh, new male performers who are younger are injecting their dick instead of uh, taking like Viagra or Cialis um, which are, are kind of minor um, uh, drugs for, for staying hard. Um, there's something called uh, Caverject or Trimax, and, and you put it in the base of your penis and inject it, and then your dick is hard for about an hour. And so you don't have to worry about it going down. But with that being said, it doesn't feel so good. Uh, the, the erection I've heard is extremely painful. And so I, I could see that maybe those guys are having a harder time coming. So you're going to get more fakes. But, um, but yeah, that's actually, now that you say that, that's going to be something I look at for now. Because uh, I, I, will, I will say it's, it's not something I've really, I've really paid attention to. But now I will. Yeah, it's it's starting to happen a lot more often than it used to. And the funny thing about it, you know, if you watch porn, you know it's fake. I mean, it's not oh, yeah. real. Oh, yeah. You know, if it's allegedly a cream pie and it is like the Stay puffed Marshmallow <laughs> Man is coming out of her pussy, yeah. like that's just not yeah. real. Yeah, and actually I, I said this to a guy on my OnlyFans uh, yesterday. You were talking about, he was talking about, you know, uh, fake cum shots and like, oh, do I do enjoy porn and, and stuff. And I, I was talking to him about, um, uh, I, I always overanalyze it. And I will say for all of the all the listeners, if you ever see a cutaway before the guy comes, he didn't really come. Because, it, you know, comments on videos, they'll see like, oh, man, why did they go to the guy's face right when he was coming? I can't believe that. Well, it's because he didn't actually come. How else are they going to show, you know, the, the, the come on the girl's face if he didn't come? Like, they, they, we use, um, a lot of people use, uh, uh, it's called Cetaphil, which is like a face cream for, for fake cum. Uh, I use what's called fuck water for my fake cum, which is uh, a hybrid lube, and uh, it looks exactly like cum. Like, you can't tell the difference. But but when it comes to video, uh, if, if there's cutaways, it's it's going to be fake, you know? If, if you don't see that uh, that penis uh, coming, then it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not coming. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, let's talk about you and social media, because okay. you are pretty vocal on social media. You... Uh, are incredibly vocal when it comes to performers and hypocrisies or performers and and sex negativity. Like we discussed earlier how the industry 
even though it's all about sex, you know, it's finally sort of started to become a little bit more sex positive in regards to acceptance of performers, crossover stars, uh, performers basically being able to perform with whomever they want. But there are factions of performers that are still incredibly close-minded for, for an industry that should be very sex positive, you know, people's political point of views, people's uh, religious backgrounds and that sort of thing do tend to creep up. And especially with social media where performers are, you know, with their little fingers are ready to, uh, to post about or tweet out every single thought in their mind. Um, I just want to get your take on how you use social media and how you call out hypocrisies and that sort of thing and um, sort of where this voice came from. Uh, were you always like that? Was it something that you always wanted to do or was there something like a tipping point where you were just like, fuck this shit, I'm just going to express myself the way I want to and I'm going to call out all the bullshit? Yeah, there there was a, a tipping point. It was it was like I said that uh, that scene when I decided to stop working in, in front of the camera when I'm like, um, you know, the the f word slur. I, I I know a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, but they're saying, you know, oh, I'm not going to work with this f, you know, to me the two years slur. prior. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Two two years prior, and now I'm going to have to have sex with her for a large company. Because now, now I've gotten there, and now it's okay because it's, uh, you know, 2022, and we can't hate you for being an F word anymore. And so that's where the resentment just completely boiled over for me, and I, I canceled every single scene I had. I was I'm not doing anything. I'm POV only, and I'm only shooting with and for the people I want to shoot with. I'm no longer going to be the workhorse. I'm no longer going to take uh, every booking. Um, and, and I'm fortunate to do that because I have um, the companies that I, I produce for um, giving me work um, and allowing me to, to book the, the female talent that I want to book. And so, um, you know, I, I have a mental list. It's not uh, written down anywhere, but I, I know everyone who's, who's said things about me o over the years, you know. And I know um, another thing I, I always tell this to the new guys is, you got to be good to the female talent because the thing is, if you are not a good person, I'm going to find out. We all are working with the same girls. Everyone in the industry is going to know you're a scumbag. And um, prior to this, you know, kind of quitting in a sense, uh, uh, trying to be mainstream and trying to fit in, I wanted to be the big porn star. I wanted to be the guy who, um, you know, was – uh, the, the biggest guy on the front page of Pornhub, and I, that's why I worked so hard. I was like, if I just work hard enough and keep my head down and not get involved in any drama stuff, I can be that guy. And um, the truth of the matter is because I was crossover, I just never could. Um, the, the big company that I, I canceled on with the, the female talent that uh, you know, called me the F word, um, when I first started out in 2018, they approached my agent four times to book me and looked at my Twitter. They, they liked me on the agency. They emailed my agent, liked me on the Twitter, and then suddenly uh, liked me on the agency site, and then they check out my Twitter. They see me having sex with a trans girl. All of a sudden, I'm ghosted. You know, my agent's ghosted. And he would send me, he would me the emails. And so I'm thinking to myself, why did I play this game for so long? 
I, I know all the bad male talent. I know the, the ones who sexually assault the girls. I, I know when there's a rumor, all I have to do is call a couple of my friends and see, hey, is this true or not? And they'll tell me, you know? So um, that's where my kind of scorched earth uh, came from. I'm like, I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to be the, the big, um, you know, front banner winning all the awards on Pornhub. I'm not going to be winning all the AVNs. Um, I, I don't want to be that guy because, you know, a lot of what the industry has found or, or tolerated for a long time is is not acceptable. And it's discrimination based on sexual ori- orientation is literally the tip of the iceberg. Um, this goes to companies that know they have directors, producers who have sexually assaulted talent, who have beaten up their significant others. I One set I was going to uh, – the director wasn't getting back to me. This was a Vegas shoot. Wasn't getting back to me. I'm driving out there. I find out when I get to Vegas, he had beat up his wife the night before and was in jail. And that was the third time it happened. You know, so scenes off. And like that guy's still shooting. You know, I, like all all this stuff is um, it's shielded from the public and it's shielded from the companies for the most part. Um, and the agents will block some of this stuff too. I have a great relationship with almost every agent, so I won't say, you know, they're all bad or, or they're part of a problem. But um, you know, when your uh, when your income is contingent on having a relationship with someone who you know is kind of a bad guy, but if you start anything with them, you have 50 girls on your roster that now aren't going to get booked, you know, in retaliation. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gradually getting there. If if I if I say everything I 100% know and all the evidence I have, I won't even be producing for the companies I produce for. You know, I, it is it is I know so much stuff, and not just me, but everybody. Everybody knows it. It's it's so out in the open, and um, and it's been so hidden for so long, and so now I'm I'm kind of warming everyone up. I'm warming everyone up to. Uh, again, this is going to make me sound like such an asshole, uh, but I have so much resentment. Now I'm coming out after everybody. Everybody tried to block me. Everybody tried to hurt me. So now I'm coming after you. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And and so um, yeah, if I if I hear any anyone bandwagoning on a on a guy who I've heard behind the scenes um, has sexually assaulted one of my friends, I'm going to jump on it. A hundred percent, I'm going to jump on it. And I'm very careful with who I pick because there are certain false accusations. All I have to do is make a couple calls. I'll find out which ones are false, which ones are true. Um, but for the most part, when I call someone out, it's because they genuinely are not a good person. And I've heard it from a, a handful of people or have had some kind of firsthand experience that was very negative with that person. All of that is incredibly interesting, and I'm definitely going to be watching your timeline because I just want to make sure I don't interview uh, problematic and douchebaggy people. So, oh yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 so hard, and I mean, that's the the other thing too is uh, you know, I you can't ever blame someone like this is something that actually literally just happened yesterday. Is um, my girlfriend uh, saw someone tweet tweet that they really liked this one person. And she was thinking, this is a newer performer who tweeted out that they really like this person. And she's thinking, she's like, man, should I DM her about this guy that she just tweeted out? Like how, how bad of a person he is? And I'm like, no, you can't, you can't do that. 
You know, I mean, the, she, the, the, thing, the girl doesn't know, you know, um, the, the terminology. This isn't an industry terminology, but it's me and my girlfriend. Uh, we call it being selectively scummy, which is um, when you are nice to the people who have kind of made it. And so you have uh, all the, the girls coming out who are good saying, oh, this director is great. I've never had a problem with it. Uh, and then you have the new girls who they think, oh, this girl isn't going to go very far, so I'm going to be able to get away with a lot. They're selectively scummy. They're picking their targets. I mean, you could you'd easily say that they're just predators, which they are. But um, I think selective scumminess um, is a great word because a lot of these a lot of these good people that people have a ton of positive experiences with are picking their targets, and they pick them very well. And I, I say this to new girls too. You you basically cannot do anything about them. They are smarter than you. They are well-established. And if you come out, the only thing that will happen is you won't get shot anymore. Um, because looking at it as an outsider producer, oh, this girl called out this guy for doing something scummy on set. I don't know if it's true or not. I wasn't there. So I just better avoid her to avoid any issue. So it's not even like this coordinated oh, we're going to blacklist people who are, are problems. It's just people who are problems tend to not be shot. And, or who, I shouldn't say problems, people rock the boat. And again, that's why I'm, I'm very privileged to be in the position I'm at um, because I'm, I'm able to uh, stand up and say these things with literally no fear of retribution. I have no fear of retribution because I'm a very good POV shooter problem I have in a month now is that I don't want to shoot all the scenes that people want me to shoot. So I, I feel like I can be that voice. I can be there to, um, you know, help signal boost the, the ones who I, I basically know are bad. Um, so What's really eye-opening about what we were sort of like just talking about in regards to you being a little bit scorched earth and that sort of thing is, I mean, throughout the years, as I have been interviewing performers, especially BIPOC performers, and in particular black performers, you know, I have <laughs> been able to uncover like the racism in the industry, and, and I've been able to... Oh, yeah. I've, I've had oh, can performers... Oh, can I touch on that real quick? Yes, just absolutely. Real, real fast. I'll, I'll make it quick. I know I'm really verbose. But, um, so... When I started, too, that was another thing, too. Girls would have something called their IR rate, and they would wait to do interracial. So um, their IR rate was generally three or $400 more expensive than their regular rate. So if a director tried to book a girl, even if she had already worked with uh, uh, black performers, if a girl um, uh, was getting booked with that guy, the agent, and, and uh, I mean, well, I shouldn't say the agent. People would inflate their rate. They would have an IR rate. If, if it's IR, it's extra. So that was, yeah, and, that, and that's gone. That, that's gone. Thank God. Yes, we, I've, I've discussed that before with performers. Uh, yeah, so, mm -hmm. so basically where I was going was, you know, I've had performers, we've discussed the racism in the industry, you know, experiences that performers have had that, you know, have been filled uh, with either racism, discrimination, or microaggressions. And I have discussed with performers sort of like the homophobia or I guess nowadays we would call it the LGBT 
plus phobia that the industry mm -hmm. has exhibited. What's interesting is that post the Me Too movement or the post the launch of the Me Too movement, the amount of performers that are a little bit more confident in publicly disclosing bad assaulty experiences with fellow performers mm -hmm. is really interesting as well. I mean, there was a point before Me Too when that wasn't really discussed. And now yeah. performers are a little bit more confident in openly discussing it, in particular on social media, and also showing evidence and proof and that sort of thing. My question for you is, oh, for sure. what do you think could be a beneficial change in the industry that would um, that would uh, sort of, in essence, maybe bar or blackball performers that are so egregious in their predatory, um, sexual assaulty nature. Uh, do you think the industry needs? a union or some sort of governing body and is it would is that a difficult thing to do just because you know like who do you pick to be in charge of that because i mean let's be real the industry at times can be like high school and there's gatekeeping is, and, and that sort of thing and and there you know if you rub somebody the wrong way um, there's retaliation, as you mentioned. So it's like, who yep. would be in charge of that? Uh, but what are your thoughts? Like, it, does there need to be some sort of, um, you know, an ACLU for the porn industry? You know, some sort of union that is like a governing body that can actually take record and take account of everyone that's doing shifty and shady things. Um, you know, or, or at least it'll keep people on their toes so so that they don't. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, so I'm going to be such a cynic here. And this is like, uh, again, this is like, I feel like the industry has beaten me down a lot with this stuff and, and the things I've seen. I, I'm, I have no faith in any uh, anything changing or going on. Um, the biggest problem, I think, is not uh, any of the things you named. It's, it's the civilians um, watching the stuff. Because at the end of the day, they don't care. Uh, you know, 90% of uh, people aren't porn fans. They just watch porn. And they might, they might see a girl and recognize her a little bit here and there, but they might never even know her name, you know. Uh, same, same with the male talent. They, they don't know. Um, you know, the, I bet if you showed my, my picture to, to most people, even though I have, you know, 200 million, over 200 million views on Pornhub, I don't think anyone would really recognize me uh, largely. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we just don't have civilians coming uh, out to, to kind of cancel them in a sense. Like uh, when, when the Will Smith thing happened, uh, uh, slapping Chris Rock, and uh, such a, a, an old meme at this point, but it actually did change me a, a little bit when I saw that because I was like, if this guy – can, feels comfortable enough to go on stage live in front of cameras and assault somebody, that's, that's not something we do in a civil society, and half the people came out to defend him. And it was, like, so eye-opening that you can have the worst female and male talent with pages of evidence about how they 
sexually assaulted someone, how they beat up their ex, how they did the, you can have police report, all that, nothing is going to change because the consumer doesn't care. The consumer will still consume it. Um, the small contingency of people who, who are porn fans and, and care about it, uh, they're not going to, you know, maybe, maybe they stop watching some, some of the companies, but that is such a, a small minority of, uh, of viewers of porn um, that, uh, again, like with, with the content stuff, I, I gatekeep in, in terms of I don't let bad people, bad men, bad women on, on my set. Um, uh, a big-time male content creator could have tons of evidence come out that he's, he's done bad stuff, and the girls will still work with him. Um, uh, you know, because the viewers will still still pay for it. Um, so he'll always find another victim. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, there, in my opinion, there is no change. There's no change until until people start caring about porn. And, uh, I mean, we see in, in this climate, um, you know, especially with the, the takeover of Twitter and stuff like that, um, just a, a less and less of, of a concern for anyone who's a sex worker. And um, yeah, that, so that's just gonna that's just gonna continue. You'll you'll have OnlyFans creators who are just predators, abject, like a hundred percent predators. Everybody knows it. Nobody can stop them. Um, and yeah, so so that's my super cynical, uh, you know, fuck the world answer. And unfortunately, I wish I I wish I had more uh, uh, faith in in humanity and and in the industry, but I just don't. You know what, I feel you, especially based off of everything that you went through. I, I completely and totally understand uh, your answer. As a porn fan and as someone that has been interviewing performers, and, and I do know y'all's names and that sort of thing, it, it, it sounds disappointing. So I hope that someone out there, you know, just to put, you know, the positive energy out there and, and you know, the belief in manifestation and that sort of thing, hopefully someone out there gets inspired and and ends up becoming the change that the industry does need. I mean, it's slowly been changing. I mean, I feel like porn is like the final industry in entertainment media that has like been it's been the industry that has chugged along so slowly when it comes to mm-hmm. progress and that sort of thing. And it's kind of crazy to think just because, I mean, it's an industry based on sex and it's supposed to be about sex positivity and it's sort of like right. finally kind of getting there. Um, it still does a lot of thing that, things that are wrong, um, but it has slowly become much more accepting and that sort of thing. So we'll totally. see what ends up happening with it. Yeah, it needs it, it needs like a Me Too era for porn, but that actually has some kind of impact. And Correct. for it to be a water cooler conversation, it has to be destigmatized because no one's going to go to their corporate job and talk about how uh, you know one male performer beat up another per- male performer. It's just not it's not going to happen. It's not even a workplace conversation, and until it is, um, nothing's going to change. So true. Yeah, you're. You're not wrong in regards to that. Now, uh, we were talking about social media. So as a kind of follow-up to that, has there ever been a moment when you've seen a performer post something on social media that has made you not want to work with them in the future? Oh, man. You know what? Uh, Yeah, I feel like there probably has. But off the top of my head, I 
I honestly, I can't think, think of an example. Um, a lot of the times, uh, it, uh, other than, it's, it's very difficult for me because I, I have uh, almost a free speech, not, I, I wouldn't say absolutist uh, 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 in, in terms of being able to say everything. Obviously, I, I feel everyone should say anything and there should be consequences. But at the same time, um, I don't think, me personally, I can't think of an example where I've seen someone say something that has been something where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to work with this person. Um, a lot of the times, it has to do with how they actually treat people. So if I heard a performer, um, you know, d did something really horrendous to, to another person, uh, I would say that would influence me more than, than seeing something um, posted on social media that I just didn't like um, or, or that I didn't agree with. But I, I feel like there has to be one example where I, I didn't follow that. I, I just can't come up with it now. It's, and, that's, and it's a very complicated um, uh, subject, uh, especially now, I would say, with, like, you know, free speech and the Internet. And um, it's, it's, like, kind of a minefield right now to navigate because there's really no – right answer and um and yeah so okay well no that that was the right answer for you yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah okay so we briefly touched on this when we talked about your first time on an official set on a, a mainstream set so now i want to like dive deeper into your thoughts on the stepbrother stepfather stepmother stepauntie step cousin genre that has <laughs> really grandma, taken over yeah, every every single <laughs> every single step possible um th this genre this niche whatever you want to call it that has taken over the industry i would say it probably started off with the milf genre and then it just sort of yeah you know it, it has transformed into this what i like to call incest light you know, you have yep, to say the is. word step. I remember at a certain point when I was interviewing performers, they were like, you had to say step a certain amount of time in a scene. And yep. nowadays, I feel <laughs> like all you have to do is just say it once, and, and it's good. So the, the regulations or whatever, the stipulations for that type of scene have sort of changed over the years. But I want to get your take on your thoughts on the genre as a whole, your experiences in it, how ridiculous do you feel doing it, or do you have fun playing around in those scenes? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's actually, it's a funny thing. I, I feel like I literally just posted about this yesterday, um, uh, or, or the day before, but uh, um, there, I think the major reason it came to popularity was because it's so easy to shoot. Um, a lot of producers in L.A., uh, they want to get it shot, they want to get it done, they want to go home. They don't want a uh, complicated wardrobe with a complicated script, uh, with a lot of props that you have to have, and set decoration. Oh man, if I want to do a locker room scene, how do I get access to a locker room? That's a whole other location. Now what we have with the, um, and it is, it's, it's incest, and I'll get into the, the reason why we have to say step in a minute. But the reason incest porn is so easy to film is all you need is a house, a male talent, and a female talent, and that's it. You got your taboo, you got your fetish, you, you have a location that works 100% of the time, so it's easy. You can leave your gear there because, oh, the next day I, got, I get to shoot this place the next week because um, all we're doing is incest stuff, so we'll shoot it at the same location. It's 
it's the house. Like, don't got to do anything. So uh, we're lazy and it's easy, I, I'd say, uh, led to a lot of it. And, and it's a universal taboo. So it adds a little bit of spice other than just people fucking. Um, the reason why we have to say step, uh, which I think is, is ridiculous, I, as a, someone in porn, I, as an actor, and I can pretend to fuck my sister or my mom. I, I don't care. They're not my sister or mom. It doesn't bother me. Like, if, if someone's offended, you know, by that or, or has a, a hang-up with it, then, they, you know, don't watch it. But um, uh, the um, the reason why uh, – oh, God, I lost my train of thought. Well, uh, so uh, what was the second part of the question? You were discussing the reason – well, you mentioned why it's popular, the oh, reason yeah. why oh, it's incest. Oh, oh. I got it. Yeah, I got it. So, yeah, so um, the reason why we have to say step. So the second part, the reason why we have to say step is, uh, is because the credit card processors and the billing companies, uh, they don't allow incest. That's, uh, that's a, a no-no. They'll, they'll cancel your, your billing services if you say you're fucking your mom, fucking your sister, fucking your dad. Um, so the only way they can get around that is by saying step. And uh, uh, recently, actually, I've heard from some of the bigger companies that credit card processors are, are clamping down. So I would say be on the lookout for people saying step multiple times. Uh, I've heard they have to have confirm, affirmative consent in, in the videos. So at some point, they, a, a character has to say at least once, I do want to have sex with you. I am consenting to sex or, or however it's written. And, um, and that... I am, in fact, 18 years older, or when I turned 18, or any type of confirmation of age 18. So those, and all those things, because they're, they're going to be silly, it's going to be the next meme of, uh, you know, instead of YouTube video with the, the girl stuck in the, in the washer or dryer, it's going to be, oh, are you consenting? Oh, are you 18? You know, and uh, as like the, the meme for porn, when you already know they're consenting and they're 18, uh, but yeah, so that's like uh, that's that's all the billing and credit card companies. Uh, that's all they're doing. That's fascinating. So though, so I'm assuming the consent thing is going to be universal, and the RU18 will be for performers that appear young. No, uh, no, not at all. So it's uh, it's whoever the quote unquote teen is. So if it's like teen guy or teen girl, even if they don't look like they're underage, the, it still would be you have to have that uh, affirmative consent. And I've heard it with, um, I've heard. MindGeek and Gamma are doing that now. And I haven't been on, full disclosure, I haven't been on MindGeek or Gamma set in over a year. But I've heard from some of the girls that I've been shooting recently that they're now having highlighted parts of multiple steps. Uh, I want to say it's at least three times they have to throw a step in there uh, before sex starts. And then consent, affirmative consent things are highlighted now too. And, and saying that they're over the age of 18, if they're the teen, um, they have to say that also. And, and so I think I, whoever the billing people are for, for MindGeek and Gamma, I think they're cracking down. And so uh, uh, the, the biggest mainstream porn you're going to see, uh, it's going to be like in your face is, is what I was told by a lot of the female porn. Oh, okay. That's fascinating. That's interesting because it's a yeah. little bit of a – well, clearly, it's it's a change with the whole consent thing, which is fascinating. I guess yep. it's it's the era that we are in, but it's interesting because, like, in the beginning, they were so heavy on the step, 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 step. It was like step in every sentence, and then that yep. was a little lax, 
And then it seemed like it was just maybe mentioned once or twice in a scene. So they're going back to the step, 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 step. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, the whole thing is like uh, they, they kind of let it slide for a while. And now it's looking like, especially with the bigger companies, like the, their billing uh, services are cracking down. And so um, so it's looking like that's going to be the next thing is, uh, is, is a, high, a higher degree of, uh, of um, you know, of following the rules, essentially. Like, you can't just say step once to get around the rules and then it's brother-sister the entire time. Well, you gotta, you got to carry it through. Okay. No, that's incredibly fascinating. That That's brand new information <laughs> for me, so I appreciate it. Okay, so oh, yeah. let's shift away from these questions about sort of like the industry and uh, the larger issues within the industry and that sort of thing, and let's shift back and focus back on you. And uh, this is... We like to call the big question a question that I'm sure a lot of your fans might be curious to know. How much are you packing? Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I have an 8-inch penis and uh, 5.5 around, and that's, like, honest. Um, I, I would say that if you generally in porn, uh, I mean, I would say 6, 7, is pro- seven inches is probably the average. So I'd say I'm a little bit above average. But um, – but yeah, porn guys aren't aren't as as hung as you would expect. No one has a ten inch. Well, I mean, some people have a ten inch cock. You look at like Dread. I think he's like liter, literally thirteen inches. Some guys are, are like that. Very very few. A lot a lot. It's just good angles. So uh, yeah, good angles it's the magic of of also the pairing. You know, depending on yep. like you know if you have a really tall guy with a very short girl, like it, it makes yeah. it's uh, optical illusions. Definitely. Well, that's where I, uh, that's why everyone tells me I have a 10 inch dick. They're like, no, your dick is 10 inches. And it's like, I, I, when I was performing in front of the camera, I'm fi- I was 5'6", 120. And so I'm a really skinny guy. So my penis does look proportioned to my body gigantic, even though it's, it might not be. Whereas you have like a bodybuilder with a 10 inch dick, it'd be like, oh, that looks like an average size cock. Cause you're, you're just seeing it on, on a frame that's bigger, you know? <laughs> Mm-hmm, totally. Do you do anything in particular in regards to preparing for a scene when you have to pop? You know, do you do anything in particular to make sure that the pop looks good on camera? Yeah, I'd say I, I'd say my biggest secret, which uh, you know isn't really a secret, I'll tell anyone, um, is uh, is I like Pedialyte. If you drink Pedialyte throughout a scene, you're you're probably going to come a lot because you're going to be really well hydrated. Um, so, I mean, I'll get a, a bottle of Pedialyte. They're in the, um, in the baby section, which is, is really funny because Pedialyte is basically just Gatorade without the sugar or without as high as a uh, content of sugar. So, uh, yeah, they're, um, they're fantastic. So I, uh, I'll drink a, an entire bottle, uh, throughout the scene. And then when it's time to come, I'm like really, really hydrated and it just shoots out a lot. That's incredibly fascinating. I'm sure someone that's listening to that is writing down that trick. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great, and actually, I, I know a lot of guys who who will have Pedialyte too. When I started having it, it was just a handful of people, but now I think almost everyone has a Pedialyte on set. Very interesting. All right, so let's talk about your OnlyFans. Uh, what type mm-hmm. of content can the listeners expect on your OnlyFans? How often do you update it? Just give uh, the listeners everything that they should know about your OnlyFans. For sure. So um, I started my OnlyFans thinking that uh, if I shoot the best POV stuff, uh, boy-girl POV stuff, 
that will get the fans in there. Uh, I'll get a lot of subs. I'll make a lot of money. I'll be able to pay girls. Um, I did it for about six months with weekly updates. Um, uh, actually, probably more about four months with weekly updates. And, uh, and that got me next to nothing. It never took off. Nothing. I, I was making like to to you know be really candid. I was making less than two hundred fifty dollars a month on on OnlyFans. That's with four scenes, um, which my my rate to shoot a scene is a lot more than two hundred fifty dollars or one fourth of two hundred fifty dollars. So it was like very demoralizing. Um, so uh, since I had experience uh, posting naked pictures prior. to even being in porn, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to just go solo. I'm going to do solo. I'm going to gear it towards gay audiences as much as possible. And um, that's where I'm at right now. I mean, I it's crazy. I've gone up in, in the last three weeks since I've started doing solo multiple times higher <laughs> a month I, I make now on, on OnlyFans than I did when I was shooting with people. And I'm just at my house, like, sitting in front of my computer like, oh, I, you know what? I got an idea for taking a really nice dick pic or a really nice picture of my ass. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go over to my couch and just take it right now because um, I got all the gear. I got all the equipment. And um, I think there's, like, a lack of, like, pro-quality, like, good-looking gay porn, like, uh, especially solo stuff. So I kind of just shoot what I, I would, you know, watch. Um, so if you, if you like... Uh, mostly gay-themed solo things with a little bit of boy-girl stuff and uh, some of my old trans scenes sprinkled in there. Um, I think you'll, you'll like my OnlyFans. And, oh, and I update, uh, I update it um, with new things once maybe every, I want to say, two or three days. And then I post uh, pretty much daily old old pictures, and I'm gonna I'm gonna post old pictures that I've taken over the years that were popular um, until I run out. Uh, but I I have a lot, so <laughs> it's gonna be a while. Uh, but eventually, I want to get to a point where it's like it's all new stuff. But um, but yeah, so if if you like gay stuff, you'll my only fans. Well, speaking of popular stuff, uh, what part of your body gets the most attention from your only fans? Uh subscribers yeah yeah so um i have i recently i just recently literally today i posted a, a scene where i um i have a butt plug in my ass and i'm like pulling it in and out and i it's it's so interesting because it was always a request of people for years and years that's what everyone wanted to see and now it, it to be totally honest it's not as as uh revolutionary as i thought it would be for my only fan uh people like my dick uh, it, people seem to really, really like my dick more than anything else. And it's, it's funny because like, I feel like butt stuff is so, so much harder and I'm like so proud of it. But then like, I'll just post a, a thing of me jerking my dick off and it gets four times as much views. I'm like, why, why is that? Like, I have a nice ass. Like, why, why do you only like my dick or like it so much? So, um, I'd say o- overwhelmingly it's, uh, it's my penis that, uh, that my fans tend to like. On your OnlyFans, you did make an announcement. You kind of briefly discussed it when you were talking about what type of content to to um, expect. But I was wondering, do you want to expand on the announcement? You did mention that over the course of the year, in particular towards the end of the year, you do want to focus on 
creating professional level studio quality gay by trans POV porn because you feel that that is a um, a genre uh, or a style of uh, porn that isn't really out there. I'm, I'm just curious as to what led to that decision. Yeah, so um, uh, again, like it, it, a lot of it boils down to resentment, which is so funny because uh, for me, um, especially now in how many scenes I've done, I, it's it's very hard for me to get even turned on. Um, I, I like the I like the attention and validation more than I like actual sex, uh, which is very weird for for me because I've always been a very sexual person. Um, so. What I'm seeing, though, is especially in, in monetizing stuff, is there seems to be a real lack of good trans POV, good gay POV, good bi POV. Not that there's anything wrong with using your cell phone to, to film things, but how I got to where I'm at and all the companies I shoot for was by making something, a product that is a quality higher than everything else out there. And that's what has always done really well for me. So... I'm asking myself, what can I do to uh, not just make people happy, but to make more money? And it's like, oh, man, there, there's these three niches that are, I feel are really underserved um, that I can, you know, I can shoot with. And I don't have to interact with anyone in the straight porn industry who I want nothing to do with as soon as I uh, have that opportunity. Um, the, the gay and trans performers I've known over the years, they've treated treat me with nothing but respect. And I haven't gotten that from the straight porn industry. So um, I, I want to work with them. I want to make them money and make them look good on camera and, and uh, you know, make money while doing it. Very nice. Okay, so let's <laughs> shift away from your OnlyFans and let's talk about you even more. Tell me something quirky about yourself okay. that most people don't know. Something unique about Alex Jett. Oh, God. See, this is, this is where it goes in, like, to the, the hardest parts. Uh, you know, because it's, it's so easy to talk about the industry, but then myself, uh, something quirky. Fuck, I don't know. I'm I'm like such a shy person. I think a lot of people like really don't understand how shy. Even even people who are performers still even consider me shy. Like, I remember 2019 waiting in for the AVN line, and the the girl in front of me, a former scene partner, uh, she she was like, "Dude, you look so fucking uncomfortable right now." And I'm like, "Oh, thanks. You know, that that makes me feel better about all this." So I'd say, like, I, uh, the weirdest thing or most quirky thing about me is just how socially awkward I actually am because there's almost no way to describe it until you see me in that situation. And then even people who are socially awkward are like, damn, you look really fucking uncomfortable. So, Describe yourself in ten words or less. Oh, God, ten words or less. Uh, uh, fuck. Um... Let's say, I don't know, man. That, yeah, so hard. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know. Um, I'd say I'm pretty compassionate, but that's like, it's a, anything I think of it just that all sounds so cliche. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. I, I think is is one of my things. When I shoot my scenes, they're always perfect. Uh, or I. I believe them to be as perfect as they can. So perfectionist, uh, compassionate. Um, I don't know, man. That's Yeah, it's just so fucking hard. 
let's allow your fans to get to know some of your favorites. What are five of your most favorite television shows? Okay, okay. So, um, obviously, I've been watching The Last of Us recently because, like, really, who hasn't? It's right. uh, everywhere on the Internet. Um, I, I, let's see, current TV shows. Um, I, you know, I'm a real big fan of movies more than TV. I've been watching a lot of Adam Sandler movies, um, so just because they're funny, uh, and and like a lot of them are kind of on on the the cusp of like terrible, and so it's kind of funny to watch a terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> so I've I've been watching that. Um, I watched. I feel like I watched Chainsaw Man was pretty good. That was an anime. I, I watched that recently. Um, man. Yeah, not not so much series. Oh, you know what else I watched is uh, Koala Man recently. It's uh, um, uh, anyone likes you know the Rick Morty style of of stuff. Koala Man's pretty funny. Um, yeah, a lot. I I kind of just uh, we'll we'll go on uh, whatever uh, whatever thing I have and uh, check it out. Oh, I like Stranger Things. I know that's not topical, but Stranger Things is really good. No, the most recent season was fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, shout out to Vecna. All right, who are yeah, four... Yeah yeah, 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 totally. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Oh, okay, let's see. So, um, so I like Rise Against, uh, like uh, Sum 41, uh, Kill Switch Engage. Um, man, you know, maybe, maybe this is dating me a little bit. It's uh, a little... Uh, you know, more before a lot of people's times, but Third Eye Blind was really good. I'd say, I'd say, oh yeah, definitely uh, My Chemical Romance. Got to throw that in there because that's uh, basically my high school. What are three of your most favorite films? Um, so I'd say number one would probably be Cloud Atlas. I thought Cloud Atlas was like so fucking good. I just, I, I can watch it any time. I've, I've seen it probably 20, 30 times. I, I don't think there's any movie I've, I've watched as much. That's every time. It's so good. Um, man, what else do I really like? Um, uh, anything Kubrick, you know, um, uh, The Shining, Clockwork Orange. Um, Christ, I'm blanking on a lot of his other movies now, but um, his, his style of film, too, being, like, completely in control and everything, I, I fucking love that. Um, yeah, trying to think of a third one. And I'll rewatch. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't really think of a third one right off the top of my head. But I. But I'm a huge movie buff, so I, I watch movies all the fucking time. What are two foods you can't live without? Um, let's see. I'm gonna be really generic here, and I'm gonna go with pizza and pasta, because like pizza and pasta are two of the best fucking things ever. And for pasta, just butter and cheese on it. That's all that there needs to be. Butter and Parmesan cheese. Fucking, like, oh my god, so good. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Um, yeah, right now I'd, I'd say I don't really have a whole lot of guilty pleasures. Um, I Before it was definitely ice cream. I used to eat ice cream a, a fuck ton, and I liked... Um, uh, uh, what was it? It was Moose Tracks. If if anyone knows what Moose Tracks is, oh my god, mm-hmm. it's just so fucking good. It's like vanilla ice cream with with chocolate, and then um, you got little peanut butter cup things in it. And I I would I would literally in I'd eat it in two set sittings. So one day I'd have half the carton, 
the, the, the full carton, and then the other day I'd have the other half. And it was, oh, my God. I still, I, I miss having that. I can't, can't eat that as, <laughs> the same way as usual because I, I definitely I'd be at, uh, you know, 170, 180 pretty quick. What are you currently binging? Are you currently binge-watching anything? Um, so Last of Us, uh, I'm, I'm watching that every, every time it comes out. Um, binge-watching, I binge-watched all of Koala Man in one sitting because uh, that, that was just good. It was funny. Um, I like the Australian uh, kind of humor and the, the way they talk and shit like that. It's uh, really funny. So um, uh, I'd say, yeah, that's, that's probably the last thing I've been because it all came out in one day. What's next for Alex Jet? What can the listeners expect from you in the near future? Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, the next thing for me is getting involved in doing different kinds of porn, be it uh, gay or bi or trans. Um, I feel like I've kind of mastered straight porn, and I just want to do something different. And um, and kind of go into a field where I'm, I'm starting off at square one. Um, uh, something I've, I've really noticed about myself is that when I tend to feel like I mastered something, I get bored and, and I need a, a different challenge. I always need something to like pull my way up from. And now here I am, um, you know, I, I have all the equipment I want. I have a location to shoot. I have, you know, nice things. Now it's like, now I want to try and conquer another genre of porn. And I would say what, what I really want more than anything else is I want to win awards in all categories of award shows. I want a gay VN, I want an AVN, and I want um, a TEA award, a T award, um, which is the trans ones. I want all three at some point. And I know AVN is going to be the thing that's the farthest off in the horizon, uh, just because of how scorched earth I am with the, with the straight industry. I think it's going to happen eventually. I think I'm going to make myself into the kind of person and performer that can't be ignored. And, um, yeah, so stay tuned for great fucking porn. I like it. How can your fans reach you? This is your chance to provide all of your links, social media, OnlyFans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sure. So um, my main Twitter is AlexJetXXX, and that's A-L-E-X. J E T T, so T T, and then X X X, all one word, no spaces, anything there. Um, then, if you just want to see my solo stuff, it's Alex Jet Solo X X X. So that's A L E X J E T T X S O L O X X X. So um, uh, yeah, and, and just follow those because I mean I, I'll post all the time on there. Like people can find my my OnlyFans. I have a link in the in the bio of both of those accounts. But um, yeah, my my main. If you just follow my main Alex Jet Twitter account, um, uh, you'll have access to basically everything because I, I link everything pretty pretty clearly on the top. So awesome, perfect. So this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Um, yeah, you know, one thing I, I'd like to say that like, uh, since I had done solo and that's really what got me popular to begin with and, uh, kind of, you know, uh, got me through the, those years where I wasn't doing anything, I'd say, um, here I am, you know, I, I, it took me a while to learn, but I learned and like, I, I know what everyone wants to see and I'm going to show everyone everything they want. So, um, so hopefully, uh, those, those long fans who, who watch me progress will, will be happy with the stuff I'm doing now.
Very nice. Well, I want to thank you so much for the interview, Alex. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Absolutely, 100%. And the doors open for more. Whenever you want to come back, uh, it, it would be awesome to have you back on to chat about whatever it is that you're working on. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any, anytime you want to talk, um, especially uh, hopefully by, by the next time I'll have had, uh, you know, I'll start shooting some of the stuff I've been wanting to shoot, and then I can really talk about it, and yeah, that would be cool. Very nice. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning in to One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, visit poppychularadio.com slash after dark. Follow Papi Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash Poppy Chulo one on one. That's at Poppy Chulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Alex Jett and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.